Kia ora. Welcome to the New Zealand Sim Nurse NZ podcast. My name is Erin. And I'm Alison. And I'm Marie. We are the three nurse educators from the Douglas Starship Simulation Program based in Auckland, New Zealand. We're all passionate about our work and so we'd like to welcome you to join us as we have a range of conversations about all things sim. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Kei ngā maunga whakahi, kei ngā wai tukukiri, kei ngā mā tawaka o te motu. Ka nui te mihi kia koutou. To those who connect to the mountains, the rivers and oceans across the land, Hello and welcome to you all. Welcome to our next episode. So today we've got uh, Dr. Kang Higan, who uh, we've all worked with, or had the pleasure of working with, to be honest. Uh, He was our Sim Fellow for a little while, um, and we'll let him introduce himself, really. So, Kang, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of a career bio, if you like? Yeah. Thanks, Erin, for the introduction, and thank you for having me over here. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, yeah, my name is Kang Higan. I'm a uh, pediatric emergency um, doctor in Starship Children's Emergency in a little city in Auckland of um, in New Zealand. Um, I sort of, I'm a enthusiast of simulation-based education as well um, in my free times, and I enjoy working with every one of you. <laughs> so I graduated from uh, medical school in 2009 um, and sort of w- fell in love with pediatric emergency um, early on in my career and decided to pursue that career. And throughout my training, I was exposed to um, simulation-based education as a learner myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of that inspired me throughout my training to be an educator myself. So um, I qualified as a pediatric emergency specialist two years ago um, where I, sort of before that, I worked with um, the simulation team and the children's emergency team as the joint pediatric simulation fellow. Um, following the completion of my training um, in pediatric emergency, I did a post-training fellowship in uh, the Hospital for Sick Children in Canada, mm-hmm. where I pretty much did the same thing. I was the pediatric emergency fellow and the simulation fellow as well. Cool. I came back to New Zealand a year and a bit ago to take up a permanent position now as a pediatric emergency specialist in Starship Hospital. So that's a kind of not so quick summary of my uh, career. And we're very grateful to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be back. Yeah. So I guess that probably we can roll into the Sim Fellowship stuff. So um, what's the biggest thing that you think you learnt as your time as our simulation fellow with us at the Douglas Starship Simulation Programme? You can't see you know breaking what? mannequins. Yeah, well. <laughs> you did have a habit of breaking mannequins. Yeah. We, we yeah. won't talk about the breaking yeah. of the mannequins. Was it the time where I had some water, you know, underneath the skin of the mannequins? Yeah, maybe. No, I think that was probably us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Okay, it's you. I blame it on you. There's been a few boo-boos. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, I actually learned a number of things, but I think the, the biggest thing that I learned... Um, as my time as a simulation fellow with um, the Douglas Starship simulation team is basically to be 
ready to pick up a new challenge that you weren't expecting maybe a year or two ago and being really um, opened um, to new challenges. Um, I always told myself that I had some interest in simulation um, from the from the early part of my career, and I wanted to be a instructor in simulation in the in the APLS course, so in the mm-hmm. Advanced mm-hmm. Pediatric Life Support mm-hmm. course. Um, so that sort of lead on to me, you know, when I was working as a pediatric fellow in in Fangrei, um, mm-hmm. I was quite. I told myself I have to, you know, get immersed in simulation. So we created um, regular simulation in a pediatric ward. And sort of when I came back to New Zealand, as well, not New Zealand, when I came back to Auckland um, as the Starship Emergency Fellow, I was offered a position in the Douglas Starship Simulation Program mm-hmm. as well, which wasn't what I was expecting at that time. I know I really like simulation, but mm-hmm. I also wasn't expecting to be offered that position. I wasn't aware that there was that position. So, um, but I sort of thought it was a good chance, it was a good opportunity. It was something that I wasn't expecting, but I decided to take it and see how it goes. And what I've learned since then is um, if you give your chance the opportunity, well, if you give yourself the opportunity to be open to various different challenges, it opens up a whole lot of different uh, pathways for you. Mm-hmm. So from from my time in the Douglas Starship Simulation um, program, I then went on to um, to realize that there's a whole lot more of simulation fellowship mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah, I was able to uh, apply and then be accepted to you know the job in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and sort of I I was encouraged as well to be a uh, to be a fellow in um, the IPSS, IPSS Inspire yeah. um, International Simulation. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, fellowship, so that's that's you know for the listeners a kind of a relatively new f- international fellowship that we're doing. So it's been in existence probably over the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. So I was a f- I was the f- I was one of their fellows for a year and a bit, and it sort of opened up the opportunity for me to be um, to be involved in the wider simulation world as well. So since then I've been involved in the fellowship um, committee as well as one of the co-chairs. Um, and I've had the opportunity to be involved in um, different networkings as well around the world, you know, in yeah. terms of pediatric simulation. So it's a it's a kind of a roundabout way to say that you know you should be open to mm-hmm. accepting challenges that you may not be expecting, and it'll open up a whole lot of opportunities for you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. and um, just for anybody that is unaware IPSS is the International Pediatric Simulation Society which we're all members of um, it is worth going on to the website um, just kind of checking out it just opens your eyes to this whole world of simulation that's actually out there yeah. lots of resources I mean we use it um, frequently um, you know I was lucky to go to the um, the conference, the international conference, when you went there as well, Kang, in Toronto. And, yeah, it's fantastic actually seeing this network of people that are all actually passionate about simulation and actually getting it out into the workplace and workspaces. Um, All these amazing people with these ideas, 
you know, just sprouting out of them. And it's it's very inspiring. Mm. So I think, you know, sort of if you're on your journey into simulation, just going online and looking at Inspire, looking at IPSS, looking at NZASH mm. in New Zealand, there's lots and lots of resources out there of all these people that have these amazing ideas and want to collaborate as well. So I think, yeah, it's very exciting kind of place out there and as you say you know you're a fellow out there so you know you've kind of gotten into that network a lot more so mm-hmm. it's like one opportunity has led to another opportunity yeah. and has led on to more opportunities so and it's really exciting so mm. i would just recommend to everyone if you're interested in simulation join a network join ipss mm. join inspire mm or join other simulation networks or get in touch with us mm. and see what we could tee up. Get on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for real. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The world of Twitter is amazing. So. Yeah. The international sim community is so giving yeah. and so sharing. True. And, yeah, it just blows my mind, really, the things that we pick up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. What do you think it was that was the original thing that sparked your interest in simulation? I think the 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 moment where I decided I wanted to do simulation was actually when I attended a advanced pediatric life support course as mm-hmm. a learner for the very first time, mm-hmm. and sort of I was really inspired because I everything that they thought actually stuck in my mind for a good number of years after that, mm-hmm. and I was telling myself, isn't it good? Wouldn't it be good if I can do the same thing and return this teaching, the same inspiration to the to the to the general um, healthcare professional network? Mm. Mm. So that was the I think that was this the the switch to the light I think um, where I told myself I like simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things that attract me to simulations as well. So. Um, People would sort of imagine simulation-based education as just a way, a different way to give um, education um, to healthcare professionals. Um, But what I've learned throughout is you can do so many other things with simulation. um, Mm. And that makes me very, very interested in simulation. So um, there are quality improvement projects Mm. that you can do with simulations. um, Because ultimately, it's about increasing the quality of care that you provide um, to patients and families. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the education. The education is a way to get to the improvement of the quality that you give to the patients Mm -hmm. and the family. You can always use simulation as a way to run research as well, you know. um, Studies that you can run on actual humans because they might be uh, unethical. um, That you can, can run... Mm. Um, particularly in pediatrics where the ethics are so strong you know you can't use real kids to practice one and and, you know other things as well you can do um, you can use simulation as an event as an adverse event analysis there's many many other stuff that you can do with simulation Um, it's also the how giving you know as you you were saying how giving the simulation community is Um, it's it's like they just want to give you something, 
they just want to um, further inspire you and further encourage you to be to be involved in simulations. Mm. And when you see other people who are passionate um, doing the same thing as you, I think it's hard it, not to get inspired. Exactly, you get mm. even more inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you were in Canada, what 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 was that experience like? And 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 tell us a little bit because you, obviously you've brought some stuff back from Canada to us here mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But what what was the experience in Canada like? As maybe as compared to yeah, you know what it was here. Because just to be clear, systems. I didn't I didn't bring home bring home any COVID from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you just had it. <laughs> I just had it in uh, Canada. Um, Please. Yeah. So um, I mean, again, that, just just that whole experience <laughs> yeah. was so different from what we you know what we experienced uh, here. So yeah, but yeah, obviously yeah. maybe yeah, yeah. In terms of simulation, less COVID. We're trying to yeah, but yeah. The um yeah I was there as a as an emergency medicine fellow for um for children and as the simulation fellow for for, for mm. the department as well so um it was a really good year professionally I thought um I it really opened up my eyes to what you can achieve with simulations and mm. the various different ways that you can actually provide simulation based education to um. A variety of different learners of different levels um, mm. and specialty. Um, I learned to be to be open to doing new ways of simulating. Mm. Um, when I first went there, I was always thinking to myself, oh, "This, you know, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have done this. <laughs> this is not how you simulate." But eventually, I managed to see that. Actually, it doesn't. It probably doesn't matter that much. Right. Um, I think what matters ultimately is whether you you succeed in providing education and the quality improvement to the to the to the healthcare professionals and to the patients and the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, you know, they every every week they would be almost every week or so they'll be running. Um, simulation with the native Tim, who's mm. supposed to be working on the floor as well. So, yeah. um, um, involving um, physicians, involving nurses, involving um, respiratory therapists mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, even from um, doctors from anesthesia as well, who not who who are working in another department will come and join um, the simulation. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that that. I think that's the thing that's stuck with me the most. Um, yeah. You know, having a multidisciplinary team, having having a team that's highly realistic um, in terms of the team that's going to be present um, yeah. when you're managing someone um, in real life yeah, yeah, who's yeah. sick. Um, being able to kind of call into them and actually get them to have buy-in yeah. um, to be involved in your regular simulation. I think that's the in thing that... In terms of, like, logistics... In regular simulation like is was that the same day at the same time every week or was it like a bit of a fluid kind of yeah because again we struggle with mm. getting all of those humans mm-hmm. in the same room mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. so you know did they have a set day and time or or how did they kind of make that happen i think from memory they um they wrote up a schedule for when they'll be doing right. the simulation and at 
I think from memory, they wouldn't be the same day of the week, yeah. but they would have had an idea of when they want to be running the simulations. Right. Um, nice. There's always, you know, of course, with simulation, with organizing a simulation or organizing something, um, is the background work that goes with it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's that's another major thing that I've learned um, as a simulation fellow in Canada as well. So um, organizing, you know, making sure that people actually attend your teaching as mm -hmm. well, um, being really prepared with them um, when you're actually trying to organize a simulation. So all the background work uh, put in into organizing that, the emails. Um, Definitely. You know, it's all about what you do prior to the simulation as well that makes the simulation successful, other than what you do during yeah, the day yeah, of the yeah. simulation I mean, as well. To be fair, I feel like the pre the prior planning takes three times as long as the actual <laughs> yeah. delivery and simulation and even the debrief. Like yeah. to do it to do it well and to do it right. Yeah. It's that prior preparation that yeah. definitely makes a huge difference. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing I like to say as well, it's the um you know, when we're talking about other ways of simulating of providing simulation based education as well, the other major thing that I learned over my one year in Canada was actually the um, tele simulation or virtual mm. simulation, um, um, how we use the virtual simulation platform to provide simulation based education during the times of COVID, um, during the times where there's a need um, for um, physical isolation and social, you know, um, mm. social distancing mm. requirement. Um, it's kind of it's 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 become a very important simulation technique now. Um, even when COVID, you know, the situation with COVID has has changed over the mm. past few months. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. that's kind of apparent in the literature. I think they said something like eighty to nine eighty to ninety percent of people had to pivot to mm. do everything online mm. during COVID, particularly mm. in um, North America. Um, and it's instead of actually going back to how we used to run sim, since COVID, people have actually mm. kind of just stuck with it a little bit more. And they've kind of like, actually, we can see how this platform works. Um, and it's not kind of as bad as we <laughs> initially thought it was, you know, how can you run sim kind of online? Um, so I think people have, it's, it's in a way... It's one of the positive things to actually come out of COVID. If mm. there's anything positive to be said, is that people have kind of broadened mm. the way that they look at simulation Absolutely. and how it can be delivered. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, correct. you know, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And I think that kind of hopefully leads nicely into <laughs> what we'd love to hear more about mm -hmm. um, yeah. is virtual recess room. Because mm -hmm. you've introduced this to our program. It's really opened... It up. So do you want to just tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. Virtual Recess Room? Yeah, so um, so virtual simulation, so so at the risk of boring our listeners, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, and being nerdy. We kind of still need to kind of go through what a virtual simulation is. So, um, mm. so just, just be We'll just be very clear, virtual simulation is very different from virtual reality simulation. Mm. So, yeah, that's um, a really good point. Thank yeah, you. so virtual reality simulation, which is what we're not talking about, is when you use augmented reality with a headset 
to provide mm -hmm. simulation-based education. Whereas virtual simulation, um, which we're talking about right now, um, it's a different sort of platform. So you might have heard of uh, the terms tele-simulation or distance simulation. They're kind of pretty similar, kind mm -hmm. of the same similar platform. So basically with virtual simulation, there's a, there's a few ways to provide virtual simulation because basically what you want is what you aim to provide with virtual simulation is um, the learners and the educators um, being able to kind of um, come together as a group um, in the online world, even when they're in mm. geographically different areas of the world. Mm. So um, there's a few ways to do that. So um, you might have a, a educator um being in a remote position, um, remote location, um, managing the mannequin, um, and the learners actually physically uh, being next to the mannequin. So that's one way to do it. Um, but with that, you'd need a high fidelity mannequin, mm -hmm. um, and you kind of have to adhere to the social distancing guideline right. as well with the learners being all in the same place. Um, but with the VRR, so virtual resource room, um, it's a way to kind of go around that without having to be physically in the same place. So, um, so virtual resource room is a is an online platform created by um, two emergency physicians in Canada. So James and Sarah. Mm. Um, basically, what it is is um, it's a it's a Google slide platform um, with a vital sign monitor. So um, just stop me if. You know, no, if I'm mansplaining, on. no, you're not. <laughs> you're uh, not yeah. really. So, um, it's 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 got a it it basically operates via Google Slide. So on the Google Slide, there's but there's a there's a patient silhouette, uh, where you can drag various different equipment, um, onto the patient silhouette. So, for example, you want to be giving oxygen, so you can drag a photo of the nasal prong or the or the Hudson mask, mm. um, onto the patient silhouette to, to kind of tell the educator that you have applied an intervention mm -hmm. there's always there's also a vital sign monitor next to it that mm. the educators can um, change live so basically um, what you do is um, the educator will share the google slide links with the learners and everyone will go to the google slide website and um, and then they'll run a case um, and the case would be you know almost similar to a in-person simulation, uh, but slightly altered because of the online nature of the of the simulation, mm. and the changes that the participants um, make will will be applied pretty much in real life. So other mm -hmm. other participants will see that the changes have been made by another mm. participant as well by the other team members. So based on the interventions that the um, that the participants applied, the the educator can now change the vital signs or give them different stems um, according to the intervention that's been applied. Mm -hmm. um, there are other things that can be used to facilitate um, VRR as well, so um, including a, a photo of a rash, for example, mm -hmm. um, to encourage mm -hmm. diagnostic reasoning or creating a, a short video loop of a seizure as well, mm -hmm. just to mm -hmm. sort of add to the fidelity mm -hmm. um, of, of VRR. Um, so that's that's basically the platform that 
I learned um, in and the, Canada. And it's also got, yep. so you got your Google Slides open, but you've also got all your participants on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So the Google Slides update automatically, mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of see who's making in those changes time, on those slides in real time. But you've also got your Zoom um, sort of banner down the side as well. So everyone's got audio and can mm-hmm. talk to each other and do all the teamwork training mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you can you can use Zoom, you can use Skype, you can use Teams, you mm. know, whatever that works best for right. you. And, right. and that's the good thing about VRR. You just have to find a way to communicate mm-hmm. right. um, online with the with the other other team members and and the educators. Um, so 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 we use VRR in Canada um, because of the physical distancing rule um, mm-hmm. initially when I was there. Um, I kind of went there during the peak of COVID, so mm-hmm. we've had to adapt quite quickly to, mm. to the virtual resource room. So um, so I want to thank the team um, in SickKids Hospital mm. as well mm. for, for, for their hard work um, yeah. in bringing yeah. over VRR Amazing. and educating all of us. Um, and, I mean, it's, and sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've it's just, free. It's, it's free. Online. It's yeah. online. It's amazing. Mm. Virtualresusroom.com. Yeah. And the more that we've got into it, the more we can appreciate the work mm-hmm. that they have put into that. It's mm-hmm. spectacular. There's a, there's a, well, it's been a mountain of work, I think, by the looks of things, um, you know, yeah. based on their work online. So we can go to, you can go to virtualresusroom.com yeah. um, and basically there are ready-made cases that you can use yeah. for adults, for kids, um, or there's also building block to make mm. your own Google Slides as well to, to make your vir- own virtual recess room. Yeah. I think that's what's been very attractive to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can use the case, but we can also make so, our own cases. Yeah. How, how often were you using VRR when you were in Canada? Very often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like our very often and Canada's yeah. very often might be slightly yeah. different. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Probably at least once a week. There was still yeah. wow. there was yeah there was still um, there was still some sort of in person simulation that you had you had to run, mm-hmm. um, right. but a lot of it was run virtually mm-hmm. um, in the virtual world. Um, so, for example, um, we ran some uh, virtual simulation with the local trainees, but we also ran some. APLS courses or, and some sedation courses with various doctors from and, and nurses from around mm. the world as well. Oh, wow. And because of the physical and social distancing rule, um, VRR was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we ran the resident and the fellows um, um, simulation with VRR. Um, we ran an OSCE, so an OSCE mm. is, is a, it's a, it's a basically a medical, it's a, it's a clinical based medical exam um, for a medical trainees. So we ran that mm-hmm. through VRR as well. So, wow, cool. so there was a lot of things that we could run with VRR, but we kind of have to understand VR, there's, you have to understand the platform and what the platform can provide for you. Right. So, so for example, if you're trying to teach someone some uh, procedural skill, mm. yeah, that's when you know you can still use VRR to to get them to describe how you put in, for example, an IV line right. um, or an intraosseous um, cannula. 
you know, but you can't you can't actually let them do the hands-on thing. Right. So yeah. you have to be you know um, aware of the of the pros and cons of the yeah. of the. They can of gather the, the equipment that yes. they might need, so get really familiar with everything that they might need to do that, but they physically can't yeah. do anything kind of hands-on and VR. It just means that. Um, you might have to alter your objective a little bit. So, mm-hmm. for example, rather than you know saying one of your objective is having the participants do correct CPR at fifteen to two rates, mm-hmm. um, fifteen compression to two ventilation rate, you might have to change your objective to having them describe how to do appropriate um, right. compression mm-hmm. and ventilation. So it's very important that you set your objectives correct. Mm-hmm. It's very important that you set what you want the participants to learn from this simulation because there's something there. I mean, VRR can do pretty much 90% of the things that you want to achieve via simulation. Mm-hmm. You just have to be aware of the limitation of it as well. I think and it's really, oh, sorry. Yeah. I think it's really good to remind us as well that actually, no matter what kind of sim we're doing, mm-hmm. having those really specific learning objectives mm-hmm. is, so is key. Um, and even if, you know, even if we're doing it in person versus VRR, just being really specific about what you're actually trying to get at. Because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we need to stay flexible, but but making sure that you keep those objectives quite tight yeah. is, is, a, is a good reminder. That's when well. we need to make, make a tiny tweak perhaps to yeah. our, you know, from exactly, our yeah. previously written case yeah. sheets. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, the things that I really enjoyed when I sort of got my head around VRR and it did take me a little while I got to admit and put my hand up and I was like when you first brought it over I was like oh, I don't know how this is going to work <laughs> yep. you know it's flat it's kind of a screen and you know how are you going to get it but I think from the first couple of times I saw it actually being used the thing that really kind of struck me was how people were having to talk through their actions mm-hmm. and actually explain what they're doing and why they're doing it yeah you know, you can't just do something. You had to kind of explain a lot of it. And mm-hmm. I think getting behind that thinking processes of why we do what we do was a really interesting mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm. you know, I kind of said I could see this kind of really interesting, you know, the people that were normally quiet in a face-to-face sim couldn't be quiet on this. They had to actually tell you yeah, what they're doing. They have to actually talk through their processes. So. Yeah. I found that really fascinating mm-hmm. and very beneficial kind mm-hmm. of aspect of VR mm-hmm. that I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And what what you're saying is actually not, um, it's not uncommon at all. It's actually mm. a very common phenomenon when people get introduced to virtual um, simulation of VRR for the first time. Um, they always have some doubts <laughs> about... Yeah, yeah, reservations. Yeah. It's yes. hard not to, hey? Yeah. Like, it's hard not to. It's very different. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you may have heard me, you know, when I'm running some VR answers, um, I usually warn them that this might feel a little bit weird for the mm-hmm. first one or two cases, but, mm-hmm. you know, asking them to basically give us their trust that mm-hmm. things yeah. will actually get better in subsequent cases. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. you can actually see that they become so much more comfortable with the technologies mm-hmm and the technicalities around it um, as, the, as the cases go on. So that's very common. Um, and you've, you've, Ali, you've brought up a very good point about VRR as well. So um, I think it trains us to be a bit more verbal mm. um, about our thoughts and what mm, we've yeah. done in terms of interventions. Because mm. um, that's, that's, that's why, we, that's one of the reasons that we do simulation. We want to train the teamwork. We want to train yeah. the communication during moments of crisis 
and VRR achieves that really yeah, well. Really well. Because you, you don't you don't get strong. the you don't get the mm. non-verbal cue yes. that much online. Yeah. So you have to be really um, specific, specific about what you do. Yeah, yeah. verbal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um and how do you find the debriefing online compared to in person? There are I mean most of the time it's good, but there's always some differences compared to when you do an in-person debriefing. Mm-hmm. So when I do a debriefing um, in person, I usually get them to leave all the equipments, you know, you guys mm-hmm. do that as well, leave all the equipments on the bed, stop doing things that you're doing, and then get around a circle. So we need to do the same thing as well uh, when mm. we're debriefing via VR. Mm-hmm. Get them to close the window. Mm. And then everyone, um, if they haven't, they should have turned on their, their video camera and mm. they should unmute themselves. Um, unless they're at somewhere that's really noisy, that has a noisy background. Um, and sort of just getting them to let go of the simulation and now going to a new phase of the of the simulation as well at the debriefing phase. Mm. Um, but otherwise, you know, that's the steps that you do when you're debriefing. So the reactions phase, the the event summary, mm. um, you know, the plus delta, or you might want to do some some other debriefing with um, advocacy inquiry. They're still the same. Um, Occasionally, you find that um, it's it can be a bit more difficult to engage um, certain participants mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of the lack of the of the kind of the nonverbal cue. Right, you, you lose all the visual and social cues as well when you're online as well. So a participant that that is quiet, you know, it can go a few ways. They might become they might talk a little bit more, but they they might become even more withdrawn mm-hmm. and even more quiet. Because they they don't want to interrupt people from talking. They yeah. um, they 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 need to unmute themselves when you, when mm. they're talking as well. Um, they might be in a place um, where there are other you know foot traffic as well, other people, so they don't feel that comfortable right. being debrief at that time as well. Um, and and on the flip side, you might have usually kind of people who are quite talkative they become quite quiet as well so it could actually go a few ways um so just being aware of that and Mm. maybe warning them beforehand as part of your pre-briefing that um you might involve everyone you might ask certain people specific questions during the debriefing Mm -hmm. as well Mm. and kind of just giving them the psychological safety that pre-briefing that you know you're not picking on them because they're quiet you're just warning them that because this is this is an education Mm. Uh, endeavor will 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 try to involve everyone. And the other good thing that we can do during the debriefing online as well um, is to kind of get everyone at the end of the debrief to get everyone to summarize one thing that they learned um, throughout the debriefing and the mm-hmm. simulations. That way, you can get everyone um, to be involved for one last time. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we already do in in-person right. simulation. It's just more important to emphasize that in, in virtual resuscitation. I think I've sort of personally seen, you know, as we've all gotten used to Zoom, mm. I think, you know, at the start of COVID, you know, everybody was kind of using this platform and just like, how do I use it? I'm not too comfortable with it. But I think over the last sort of two years, you know, everybody's kind of like, Zoom is just a way of life now. Right. And I think you can kind of see participants, particularly on VRR, 
um, when I've done it, they're way more comfortable kind of using that platform and, and knowing when to interrupt and, yeah. you know, when to unmute. And, you know, it's not that stop-start that it used to be right in the right. very beginning, like, oh, you're on mute, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, somebody yapping away, you're on your mute yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot better from that point of view and yeah. people aren't so kind of hesitant to use a platform like that anymore. Yeah. The other thing is um, you can actually, you should actually, um, you know, prior to the to the day of the simulation, a few days or a few weeks prior to that, perhaps send out an email to them mm. as well. Yeah. Kind of give them a link to a video of how VRR works as yeah. well. You give mm. them a, 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 a pre-simulation day, pre-brief. Yeah. That's actually quite helpful as well. Yeah, That's what yeah, I found as well. Yeah. Those, mean, those slightly less techie people can actually spend some time mm-hmm. if they need want to to yeah. practice and to play around because it is like physically getting your body around like just you know like mm-hmm. doing some skills in medicine it's it, it, you do actually have to kind of physically practice and get get used to the platform a little bit in terms of mm-hmm. you know, copying and pasting and moving between slides and stuff so and, yeah. and, and inevitably there'll still be some um, technological yeah. challenge mm-hmm. or hiccup during mm-hmm. the, the, the actual <laughs> simulation so no doubt very very important as well to tell the participants that you know at any point where you're struggling with the technology yeah. or the technicalities to actually just don't be afraid to, you know, sh- yell out for a timeout so that we can actually sort out the technology mm, yeah. side of things. And mm. we've sort of figured that you actually need quite a lot of faculty to run a VRR yeah, as well. it's similar to, you know, the big deal sim that we do in person, hey? Like, mm. it's it's it takes as much. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all kind of the same, same, but different. It takes as many people to run it really well um, as it does in person. yeah with teching and observing and, you know, give, making sure to mm-hmm. give the participants that information that they need in real time and, and, and in a sort of time-efficient manner and, you know, trying to have somebody that can go off to a different slide with somebody who's... Mm-hmm. And occasionally um, you might need the educator to be an embedded participant as well. So yeah. you can... Yeah. Yeah, You, you might exactly. need a number of faculty members. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's it's... It's not any less, and again, shouldn't be understated, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think, like talking about the debriefs, the ones that I've been involved in, although they've been slightly different, um, they haven't been any less educational mm-hmm. or engaged in, or um, you know, and the and you can see the experience hasn't been that different to a to an in person experience either so yeah Mm. I think it's I mean it's a great platform in the fact that you can completely adapt it to your own environment I mean we kind of totally (laughs) took what you gave us yeah and we we have basically I think it took us about two weeks didn't it in total just to kind of (laughs) yeah you know to get all of our equipment into that um, to New Zealandify yeah, it. Yeah, to New yeah. Zealandify it, to Starshipify it, mm. to, mm. you know, to an environment mm. that is familiar to the participants. Mm, um, it's very editable. Yeah. So, I mean, if you are somewhere and you're struggling to kind of, you know, run those kind of big CRMs mm. with a lot of people, this mm-hmm. is a very adaptable platform. And as we say, it is free. So, you know, you can adapt it to your space. And, and 
you know, because people are online, it's not about that kind of, you know, the difficulty of getting everybody into the same right. space. Yeah. You know, if people so can only make access. two hours, you know, and do a two-hour session on Zoom, they can log in, they can get a really good sort of teaching session and a fantastic debriefing mm. experience. Yeah. So I think it's something, you know, if you are struggling to kind of get those big simulations going in your area, mm. you know, do look into this because mm-hmm. it is a very good platform to yeah, use. Yeah, or if you work remotely, hey, yeah. so work remotely with, with mm. different groups of people, mm. it's so accessible. And like, I mean, even, even across, in Auckland. Hos- even across hospitals, <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. could have multiple hospitals yeah. engage in this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the options are limitless with it, really. Yeah. Um, it's and it's something fair. we hope to see in the future in our program. Mm. Uh, we would love to grow it. And if yeah. you're interested, please contact us. Um, yeah, because I don't know about you, Kang, but I think it's definitely a tool in our toolkit of SIM that's probably mm. going to stay with us. Um, and we're using it in all kinds of settings, such as yeah. for community nurses, yeah. um, inpatient, multidisciplinary teams. So, yeah. yeah, really the options are limitless with it. Yeah. yeah. You've made a, you guys have made a really good point. So, you know, we, we've spoken, we've talked so much about health equity, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, in recent years. And I think VRR are very great, good hope, really high hopes with VRR. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, you know, um, addressing the inequitable um, setting of healthcare simulation, simulation based training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with with, uh, New Zealand being such a geographically uh, remote, you know, you you, you have some really remote places. I, I see it as a great way to. Bridge the inequity in, in healthcare simulation. Yeah, absolutely. Between the big cities um, and the more rural and remote yeah. areas. Mm. So, 100%. yeah. So, that's, I think that's the next step that we need to be aiming at. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Aiming to, to, to involve um, people, healthcare professionals from very rural area yeah, in New absolutely. Zealand. Um, and then, you know, taking one step further. Um, you know, branching out to international arena. Yeah. yeah. Yes. How cool yeah. would that be? Yeah, like to sort of areas where they, there's just kind of less mm-hmm. resources for simulation. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I know when you came home yeah. from Canada, King, you were doing some 3 a.m. VRRs. <laughs> <laughs> we busted you looking yeah, a bit yeah. tired, and you're like, oh, I've been doing VRR yeah. all night. Yeah. I don't limit myself <laughs> from doing that nowadays. <laughs> and when we say, you know, you can adapt to your own area, don't be put off by that. You know, if I can do it, like literally anybody can do it. I am the most untech savvy person um, going, as Marie, who sits next to me in the office, would probably attest to. Um, so the number of times I've gone, Marie, how do I do this? And, you know, so if I can do it, anybody can do it. So it is very adaptable. Just, yeah. you know, use your own environments. Yeah. And, no and again, we have, we have resources that, like mm, we say, we've New Zealandified that we're more than happy to share. Some yeah. of it is quite Starship specific, but... Mm. Even that we can, you know, we can certainly share and show you how yeah. you can make it your own because it's it's not difficult. It does take some time. time. Yeah, just um, learning. Eh? But once you've got it done, you can then just cut and paste it into all mm. kinds of different things. Once you've done kind of that hard mahi at the start, you can then adapt mm. it into lots of different ways and mm. means and 
So, yeah, please get in touch if you're interested. Yeah, please do. And we're starting to present at conferences mm. about it as well. We're going to be presenting at yeah. NZ Ash, or we may have already presented by the time this comes <laughs> out. But yeah, we're starting to share yep. this work as well. So please connect with us. We would yeah. love to hear from you. Absolutely. Yeah. Any final questions, do you think? Can I just give one final point? Of course. Point? Of course. Can. <laughs> right. I just want to say that I really love the work that you guys have done to... to Kiwi fight, New Zealand fight, Viara. Uh, like I've seen the work that you guys have done. Um, it just gives. I think it gives participants more psychological safety, knowing that they're actually in a in a in a virtual simulation with sort of equipments that are known to them, and that's what's present in their actual ward. It's mm-hmm. it's it's it just feels much more psychologically safe and more realistic. Um, you know, to use the the airway trolley that you are more familiar with, rather than you know, being in New Zealand using an airway trolley from North America, I think it helps with the learning so much better. There's Thanks, subtle Kay. differences, but I think they're mm. important. Hey, so mm. thank you. Yeah. Alrighty. So I mean, I guess we can wrap this up. Really, um, we've learned quite a lot about Kang today, <laughs> <laughs> and all of his experiences as a fellow. Uh, here in Starship uh, with our team and with the Children's Emergency Department before going on to become a consultant in Children's Emergency Department. Um, We've talked a lot about his why and what's piqued his interest in simulation. Um, And then we've also talked a lot about his experience in uh, virtual recess room uh, and VR settings and learning online. Um, And yeah, I think it's been a really fascinating conversation. So yeah, thank Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me here. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. It was made possible by the Starship Foundation and the Douglas Charitable Trust. And special thanks go out to all of our amazing guests and especially our producer Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge Creative. If you'd like to connect with us on Twitter, or find out any information from any of the episodes on this podcast, just see the show notes. Our Twitter handle is at starshipsimprog and our email is starshipsim at adhb.govt.nz. We would love to hear from you.